Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 67 of ADHD for Smartass Women. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to Vera Bursama. <laughs> like many of us, I think I got the name right. Like many of us with ADHD, she has had a very diverse career path. Vera has worked, among other things, as a volunteer firefighter, EMT, soccer coach, Trader Joe's assistant manager and bookkeeper. While earning her MBA and after, she worked as a staff accountant for at least eight different companies, but still struggled to find her place. It all finally came together when Vera decided to take the entrepreneurial route as owner and founder of Verified Accounting. And she's going to share with us what that led to and the very path the Vera path she took to get there. I was so interested to talk to Vera because you always hear about how the ADHD brain struggles with math. So I think many of us assume that careers in accounting and finance, they just wouldn't be possible. Wrong. Again, the ADHD brain is a brain of interest and every single one of our brains is different. So there are going to be some of us where this is actually our area of brilliance. In fact, Vera is going to tell us how she took her nonlinear brain and created a really interesting niche for herself in accounting. Vera is also happily married and the mother to a giant German Shepherd Rottweiler mix named Atlas. So Vera, did I get all that right? Oh yeah, you're good. You nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So Vera, I want to hear all about your business, but before we go there, I really want people to get to know you first. So in that regard, would it be okay if we talked about ADHD first? Sure. Wonderful. So could we start back to when you were a child? And can we talk about when you were diagnosed? Um, very vague memories of me being an absolute hellion as a kid. My mom used to say I was a pip, which I think is not a compliment. Um, I was very, very spunky and just a ginormous pain in the ass who just never shut up, which is still true. And then I think it was maybe sixth grade. Um, my sister had gone through some psychological testing and my parents decided to do something for me as well. And it was explained to me 
we are going to do this test to see what your learning style is because we want to learn how to customize um, your, your classes and work with your teachers and make sure that you are getting the most out of these things. And I remember taking like a six hour test and I just remember doodling the whole time. Um, and it came back that I was ADHD with the primarily inattentive type. And my dad really, really wanted me to go on meds and I was really against it for a long time. And I finally did it. Uh, I think it was middle school-ish. I was on a very, very low dose of Adderall, something like five milligrams time released. And I guess it worked. I mean, there was no, we weren't dealing with anything else other than giving me medication. And I still really struggled socially, although I think I was probably a pretty good student. I don't know. Okay. So you think it was your parents decided to do it because, as you said, you were a giant pain in the ass. You were struggling socially, but you don't remember having problems with schoolwork ever. You got good grades. and Well, I went to a Waldorf school locally, and it was never the grades that were the problem. And that's still true. But I have a tendency to look at rules and say, well, if that doesn't make sense, I'm just not going to do it. Oh, and that's so ADHD. (laughs) Yeah, you can't really do that in school. They don't like that. My good friend Carrie had me take the four tendencies test, I think it's called. Uh And Mm -hmm. I'm a questioner and there's there's no question. I'm definitely a questioner. I'm I'm always going, yep, nope, that rule makes sense. We're going to follow it or nope. That rule's dumb on principle. We're just not going to do it. Nobody else has to follow it either. Okay. So it was never about, you always knew that you were smart. It was just, you were constantly challenging everything. I challenged things all the time. I was probably a (laughs) terrible student to have in class. I've always kind of been the class clown. I'm always the one who speaks up and answers things, but I tend to always just make people laugh. I generally have the right answer, but it isn't like super in-depth or it's just, that's just not, I don't know, it just, I I wanted to have fun more than I wanted to learn, I guess. Um, And I had some struggles with a particular teacher who I watched, abuse feels like a really strong word, but he did like pick him up by the collar of his shirt and shake him in the air and like drop him on the floor. And it was like the poor kid did not come back to class and had like a meltdown and dropped out of school. And it was around then that I just kind of became an ass. And uh, I just didn't listen and I wouldn't cooperate and I wouldn't do anything he wanted. And I was in a lot of in-school suspensions. So Vera, it sounds like you had no respect for this teacher and certainly not his methods of teaching. Well, yeah. If you don't treat people respectfully, I'm not going to give you any. That's again, you sound like my son. (laughs) I mean, and it wasn't me that I didn't, you know, it was like, you, you, you can't treat anybody like this and I'm just not going to respect it. So I ended up leaving Waldorf school and going to Wildwood Elementary where I, again, super struggled. Was that a public school or a private yeah, school? A public school, yeah. And I really struggled socially. I really didn't fit in. So Vera, what do you mean when you say you struggled socially? Um, what did that look like? It looked like me talking too much. I mean, I didn't know what it looked like, but because I wasn't the person who had a problem with it and people weren't telling me what I was doing wrong. 
they were just picking on me like it was some kind of sport. Oh, and I can't even imagine how frustrating that is when you don't understand what it is that you're even doing. I mean, if someone had sat you down and said ABC, you would have developed some sort of awareness, right? Around what it was that you were even doing. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that because I know how that can affect us, right? From there on out. So tell me then what happened. So it sounds like you were a good student. You did struggle socially. You were diagnosed with ADHD. You were talking all the time. So your family was a loving, supportive family, right? Yeah. Current tense is. They're awesome. And my family's amazing. So what happened then when you got to high school? Oh, man. (laughs) Nothing good. My tendency to disrupt a class probably... (laughs) went above and beyond. I spent a lot of time in, in school suspension. And then they started, then they started sending me home and my brain started going, Oh, this is a cool reward. I'm just going to keep doing this. Duh. Duh. So I ended up getting, I basically turned into a townie kid. Uh, My, my mom worked a lot. I was raised by a stay at home dad. who was amazing. Um, and my mother was out shattering the glass ceiling, doing amazing things in the, in, in, in the workforce, um, which is awesome. And I'm very close with both of them. And I was basically a latchkey kid and I didn't have enough after school activities. Like I wasn't being kept busy in the appropriate ways. And so my brain went and found stupid things to do. <laughs> so how did your parents deal with that? Did you always feel like, um, they were supportive of you or were they just so frustrated they didn't even know what to do? Uh, my mom once told me that I was lucky to make it to 17 because she almost smothered me with a pillow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they had a sense of humor. I, oh, they have a great sense of humor. I was a very unpleasant teenager. I was really solidly unpleasant probably until about 20. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I think that it had a lot to do with just defensive mechanisms and having a chip and a whole bunch of other things. So I ended up just skipping school, smoking pot, sitting uptown until the next person came along with like, oh, I have a handle of, you know, insert disgusting form of alcohol here. Like, let's go party. Mm-hmm. And I was never an addict. That's that's not the same thing. I was bored. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you were bored to death. It's exactly what it was. But I didn't know that. I had no mm-hmm. idea. But all along, you knew you were smart, right? I had a pretty, yeah, I had a pretty decent, yeah, I was smart. My parents were constantly telling me that I was smart and that I could do better. Uh, they, they they, never wavered in, in their, their belief in me, even when I did. So they never gave up on you? Uh-uh. Okay, so tell me what happened then. So my parents sat me down and said... And what, okay, how old were you? What grade? I had dropped out of school freshman year, um, right about this time of year, I want to say, I was probably 15 going on 16. And my parents sat me down and said, and this is a direct quote, we know you drink, you smoke, you've had sex and we smoke marijuana. And like, we're not going to do anything about it until you get bored and you will just come find us. And it was not fun after that. They killed all the fun. They really did. And, uh, you know, a couple more. And why why did it kill all the fun? Because. 
I'm guessing because I was doing it to rebel and they were just letting me do it. Ah. Like it was, it was me like pushing back against the system and the system went, yeah, sure. Knock yourself out. Like I had very clear rules that were like, um, don't, you know, don't drink and drive. Don't get in a car with someone who's drinking and driving. If you're out past 10 o'clock and you're going to stay over somewhere, call us and just, just let us know where you are. I earned the nickname mom among my friends. Because I was the one who was always saying, nope, we can't drive. Nope, we have to leave that car here. No, that's not a good idea. No, you shouldn't climb 100 feet off that tree and jump <laughs> off it. This is a stupid plan. And that's so interesting because I think a lot of people would think that is not how the ADHD brain would work. Yet I was telling you that is exactly my son. He's in some ways, he's just an old soul. He knows what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, that's definitely me. I'm I'm definitely an old soul. I can always see how things are going to go bad. <laughs> okay, so tell me. So you're you're 15 or 16 years old. Your parents sit you down, and what happens? So I was just kind of like, okay, and I proceeded to um, party for I don't know, probably another summer. And I went, and then there was one day where I was like, all right, you're right. This isn't what I want to be. This isn't the crowd I want to be with. I'm, I'm fix it. And they told me they had found this wilderness program. And I have no idea how they found it called SOAR. And SOAR stands for Success Oriented Achievement Realized. And on September 10th, 2001, I flew to Dubois, Wyoming and with like two, two duffel bags and moved into a platform tent with bunk beds and a wood burning stove and seven other people. Okay. Can I stop you for a second? Yep. So, because I bet you there are parents who are listening to this and they have a teenager that reminds them exactly of you. Okay. Yep, probably. So what was your thinking when your parents said, look, we found this program, number one. And then number two, was this program specifically for ADHD kids? Uh, I don't remember my thinking. I think it was like, all right, I'm going to trust you to fix this. Really? And so right away, you just, you were so relieved that there was something else to try. I was relieved, but I was still an ass. I mean, <laughs> I was super nasty to my parents, which, you know, I've apologized for a thousand times over. <laughs> I, I don't remember treating them well. I don't remember not treating them well, but I remember like picking a fight over every tiny little thing, like any old teenager. Sure. And I just trusted them and was like, all right, we're doing a thing. <laughs> and so they brought me to Wyoming and... Was SOAR uh, specifically for uh, kids with ADHD? I think it's called SOARNC.org. S-O-A-R-N-C dot O-R-G. N-C, North Carolina. Okay. Yep. So their, their base is in North Carolina, but they had a satellite in um, Wyoming, which I don't know if it's still there, but it was awesome. Um, and it, this is one of those experiences that looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that was such a good experience. And I had such a good, you know, I learned so much, but it wasn't fun all the time. Like there were, there were things like if every time you swore, you did 25 push-ups. Oh, so there were actual rules. And if you didn't follow the rules, there were, um, what's the word called? Consequences. Yeah. See, I, don't, I can't even remember the word. So was sore again, Vera. I'm still not clear. Was it just for kids with ADHD? 
I think it's tailored toward kids with ADHD, but there were definitely people in the program who were also like potentially at risk game members, like people involved in, oh, wow. in organized kids who were getting involved okay. in gangs and in organized crime. And I'm I'm still close with most of the people in that program. The, the, the people I'm in touch with, like I'm I'm still Facebook friends with my counselors and my kids. Great. That's amazing. It's really awesome. So it was a program that was organized that you stayed on base 10 days out of each month and 20 days out of each month, you went on a planned excursion that was planned by the kids in the program. Um, I think the youngest girl in my group was 13 and I think I it was either me or Krista was the oldest and we were 16 or 17 somewhere in there. And we planned really everything except driving routes. And we went to almost every national park in the Southwest and camped and we went mountain biking in Moab and we, I think it was Big Bend National Park where we went to and they were javelinas running wild all over our campsite. I can't find them, but I swear I have a picture somewhere of Krista having a tug of war with a javelina over a notebook because um, he wanted to take her homework. And she was like, no. And a, a javelina is a giant hog, if you look it up. <laughs> a really interesting, it's, it, these, these, these really great memories and pictures and things. And about a month into the program, we all just started fighting like cats and dogs because we were so sick of each other, so sick of each other. And then another month passed and we were thick as thieves. And I mean, I'm, I, like I said, I've maintained relationships with almost every single one of them. I actually ended up in boarding school with one of them a couple of years later. So it, it was a really good experience. I think that you should get out and spend time and travel and see the national parks and just because it's, it's amazing and you should see the world and you should see what's there. And nature is very calming for those of us with ADD. Trust me on that one. Okay. So I'd like to know what happened at SOAR that made such a difference to you? What was it specifically that you were doing? I mean, I get generally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting question. I can't give you a specific. I can tell you that there were a lot of little things that added up to be things that matter. So they had us, we had to plan our own menus. We were given a budget of $1.50 per person per day. And they split us into two groups and said, okay, menu plan. And if you ran out of food, you basically ate ramen. And you had $25 given to you each week probably by your parents. And you had to keep track of every cent and you had to give the counselors a receipt. Basically you had to keep a list of everything you spent and what it was spent on. And if you spent money on laundry or like laundry or vending machine, then a counselor had to give you a written receipt and planning and group consequences. We were expected to clean our bathrooms that we had. And if you were assigned to a, to a clean group and the group I remember the clearest is the girls versus the boys. And if one person didn't do their part of the bathroom as well as they could have, and we failed, we lost the use of the bathroom for a week. Oh my. We had to go outside. And the same thing happened for the kitchen and for various pieces of equipment. If you didn't clean it and put it away, then the whole group couldn't use it. And you learned really quickly that it wasn't about you. It was group consequences which was a huge piece of it. It's almost like you learned how to become a member of a team. That's exactly what it was. It was, it was team, team building. And years and years and years later, I remember having a phone call with my dad 
where we had talked about it. And I said, I said, you know, I don't, I don't even feel ADD. I have really high functioning skills. And he said, Fiera, you learned every single one of those at SOAR. Like you put things on calendars and write checklists and have structure because you were taught to do it as a child. You just don't remember. That is so interesting. So you were basically taught executive functioning skills. Yes. And it sounds like you were also, you and your team, were making decisions for yourselves rather than having someone else tell you what to do, which sounds like it's perfect for the ADHD brain. We were making decisions, but they had to be approved. Okay. And then we also had things like if you insulted another person, you had to give them three ups and they they couldn't be physical. They had to be like, you know, I enjoy talking with you and I think you have a great attitude and I think you are a really good artist. It couldn't be like, you know, I like your hair. (laughs) That wasn't a thing. We're not allowed to do something like that. It really taught you to kind of dig deep and that you had to get along because you were so stuck. We could not see anybody outside this program except like, you know, occasionally we'd see the boys program. That's a whole other story. So this was all girls? No, it was co-ed, but the girls were older and the boys were younger because they didn't want to have problems. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Which is a really smart way to do it. So, yeah, I basically have little brothers that I keep in touch with. Got it. And then they would look up to you guys like it, it makes sense. So... Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, did you really respect your counselors? I really respected my woman counselor, a woman named Shannon, who's, I think her name is Shannon Johnson. I think her name is Shannon Kimberly now. I respected her immensely. She managed to keep us structured and keep us in line, but let us have fun. And I really loved the second male counselor I had because he, he did the same thing. I didn't like our first male counselor and I didn't like the counselor we had in the interim. I don't even remember his name because I thought they were more condescending and more on the like, you will respect me or I, you know, Mm. like it doesn't work that way. Respect has to be mutual. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor or the CEO, like you have to respect each other and you have to treat each other that way, or it's not going to end well for you, at least from my part, from, from where I sit. So would you say when you left SOAR that you had developed a lot more confidence? Oof. That's a great question. I think I had the tools to be successful, but I wasn't yet using them correctly. And once I got back out in the real world, I got back to being bullied again because there weren't people that lived with me and were forced to be nice to me. Huh. The rules were different. Yeah. And you still didn't understand the rules. Nope. However, from what I've heard you say to me, SOAR, I mean, that literally changed your life. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. That program. Okay. And we still don't know if it's around today, do we? Oh, it is. I don't know if it's in Wyoming, but it's definitely in North Carolina. The website talks about summer camps and things like that. I I mean, you, you, you'd have to call them and ask them if, the program with John and Jess in, in, in Dubois, Wyoming is still there. Okay. I will look that up and I will put the information in the show notes for anybody that's interested. Okay. So you leave SOAR and then tell me what happens next. I went to boarding school. How old were you then? Oh God. Like about a year later? Yeah, like 16 or 17. I'm really not sure, to be honest. 
But you're still in high school. And so did you go back and finish high school? I did not go back to Amherst High School. I went to a boarding school in upstate New York called Darrow that has about 126 kids in the entire school, which is grades 9 through 12. And I don't know if this is true, but I remember thinking this as a kid. This was a school that was primarily designed for kids who weren't making it in other schools. Mm. And so we were being given like a second chance. Pretty much all of us were pretty rebellious. I bet if you polled that school, you'd find that there's a huge pile of people who have ADHD there. Yeah. But I was only there for two years. And the first year, I remember struggling really, really hard and just being a rebellious little shit and not fitting in. Because by the time I went there, I want to say I was 18. So I went to boarding school and... The interesting thing about Darrow is that it's, it's, it's exactly what you would expect at boarding school. It's completely based on the shakers, which is so on Fridays we had shaker meeting, which kind of like mindfulness meditation. So that was pretty helpful. Um, I was involved in a sport year round, which was also really helpful. Um, and I think it was once a month on Wednesdays. We did volunteer work from nine to 12. It was called hand to heart, heart to God. And I built houses with Habitat for Humanity. I worked in the yearbook. I like helped tap trees for maple syrup. I'm sure there were more things. I just can't remember them all. Um, but I, I, I was only there for a little while. And then they also do something at the end of the year called spring term where you travel and learn about another culture. And I went to Mexico um, with a group of people. And we learned about the people who try to cross the border every day. And we learned about a program called group of beta and they will not help migrants cross the border, but they will give them water and food and try to convince them to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just a really, it was a really interesting, like there were so many really incredible opportunities I had. And I wish that I had gotten to do them with people that liked me. Oh, so I was there for two years. The first year I was a rebel. The second year I fit in pretty damn well. I became a prefect. Think, think Harry Potter and everything was going great. And, you know, I was my, my grades went up. Everything was fine. And then the summer rolled around and I basically had a meltdown. I was like, I'm not going back. I can't go back. And so my parents said, all right, figure it out. You have to graduate. And so I went to Amherst High School and I found a program where you're enrolled in Amherst High School, but you attend Greenfield Community College. And so my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college were the same year. Uh, say that again. Your senior year of high school, my senior year of high school and my freshman oh, yeah. year of college were the same year. I got it. OK. And that's exactly what, you know, my son's school at the time recommended that he do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's that's how I fell into coaching. I ended up um, just seeing a bunch of kids playing and I walked over and talked to the coach and was like, can I, can I help? I played the coach's daughter like my whole life. I played varsity soccer. You know, I, I miss it. And he was like, oh my God, I'm an ultimate coach. I would love to have you. And I just helped him coach for two years. And then two years later, they gave me my own middle school team. Um, and I still have a bunch of those kids that I'm in touch with. So it sounds, Vera, like... Once you got busy and you were doing things that you were interested in, everything got better. 
If I stay busy and I stay structured, life is good. Yeah. And my plan was to be a juvenile probation officer because it just made a lot of sense. It did. (laughs) And I have a degree in criminal justice and a specialty in juvenile delinquency. It's technically sociology, but those those are the subs. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandmother basically was like, girl, you were just bored. Like, you're really smart. You were just really, really bored. And this is why you didn't succeed before. She was the one telling my parents this all along. Wonderful. I'm sure they also knew. They're very smart. How did you end up deciding that, okay, I think I want to go back and get an MBA? I read What Color Is Your Parachute? And I took a Myers-Briggs test. And it had always come back that I should be in business. And my brain was always like, but I want to do social work. And I was finally like, fine, I'll go get an MBA because it's applicable to whatever. And I just need to finish a degree. So I started part-time online. I'm still working for the computer shop. I guess we can call me an office manager at this point. I'm understanding debits and credits and doing reconciliations and teaching myself PayPal recons and things that are hard. <laughs> They're still hard. And um, it just, I liked it and I was good at it. And I ended up putting myself out there and running my own little bookkeeping side company. And I d- it didn't have a name. It was just me. But then I worked at MG, not MGM Springfield. It became MGM Springfield. It was a hockey arena where they hold events. And it's a really interesting place to work in accounting because it is never the same. There are different events every month. You're processing different things all the time. Uh, it was, it's a, it was, a, it was an interesting place to work. I was really bored by being an accounts payable, whatever. So I finally finished my MBA online, which was tough, but worth it. And I started taking a bunch of, and I had also done this during graduate school. I, I, I took a bunch of temp jobs as an accountant and I realized I really liked the work, but there was something that just never quite clicked. It wasn't some of the bosses I didn't get along with. Some of them I got along with, but the work was not satisfying or I just didn't fit with the company or I I once went to a job interview where they called the temp agency and they said, we think she can do the job, but we don't like her personality. And it was a lot of that over and over and over and over and over and over. And I finally found a job that felt like a really good fit. And I was there for a while and I was just really struggling because the job that they had described to me and the job that I had sold them on me doing turned out to not be the job that they needed. They really needed a CPA and I am not that thing. And so I asked them for a CPA systems audit after about 11 months of rebuilding systems and retraining staff and restructuring and doing all these things. And the CPA audit came back with, yeah, we don't think she's the right person in that chair. And I got one month severance and 20 minutes notice. And I took some time off and I reached back out to a therapist I'd worked with in the past. And I said, I don't know what it is, but there's something everybody else knows that I don't. Let's find it. Let's fix this. It's clearly me. And she gave me some really helpful tips and I still implement them. And it's it's great. Um, And she she got me on the right medication, um, which worked really well for me. And my friend's apartment burned. And I had all this spare time. And 
I helped her put her life back together. And in doing so, I realized that like, oh, this is a lot of different moving pieces. And it's a lot of, and I'm really, I'm helping someone succeed. And it's, this is what I want to do. Why can't I just do this from an accounting standpoint? I'm really good at QuickBooks. I'm really good at thinking outside the box. Why not make like a business consultant and try to make it real? Was that something you had wanted to do for a while? It was something that I had always considered, but was just like, I would never make money at this. I like, this doesn't, you know, there's, there's not a market for this, you know, all these things. And of course now there are QuickBook ads for what I freaking do. (laughs) And it really annoys me because I'm like, I did that first. You can't take that from me. But I really specialize in, in helping people who are running businesses in a way that is not as efficient as it should be. I I help people find efficiencies and fix things and make it like, I I will take your Excel spreadsheets that you're running your business from, build you a chart of accounts and show you how it works and walk you through it and show you how to do the day to day. And then I just pop in once a month and do your reconciliations and meet with you and talk to you about what they mean and what your reports are and, and how they work. And what you're overspending on and what you're making money on and what you should maybe cut costs on, things like that. So so do you go in there and you kind of oversee everything and see how all the pieces fit together? Yes, in some cases. And in other cases, I build it from scratch and then I hand it over. It, It really just, it's very tailored to what they need. It's very specific. And the tricky part about making money in this is that The way to make money is to do it and then say, I will do all your bookkeeping for you. And I don't want to. I want you to do your bookkeeping. I want to go on to the next fun thing. It's just how my brain works. Right. And I posted with my tribe on Facebook and said, hey, I want to start an accounting firm. What should I name it? And my friend Robin immediately was like, well, you have to call it Verified Accounting. (laughs) And it stuck. And I created a website and I I got some, some clients going. And I think I could have done it if I kept going. And if I end up not getting picked up by this this amazing firm I currently work for, then that's what I'll do. So what happened was you built this business and then while working in this business, you came across some company that you started to work with and then they wanted you to come on or how did that work? I met a guy at a networking event um, who's really, really friendly gentleman who likes to help people. And he gave my resume to a CPA firm and they reached out and said, hey, we like what you're doing. We're trying to create a department that's doing that you want to do it here. And I'm still, I've only been there two months and I'm still figuring it out, but it is a really incredible place that they don't talk about being family, but we act like family. We, we do crockpot meals together while we did. And right now we do virtual happy hours and it's, it's great. But the thing that I love about working in a CPA firm, especially during tax season, is that I get a new client to work on about every four to six hours, that is a completely different client than the one I worked on before. The procedure is always the same. The client is always different. And so you get to look at what someone did last year and what you're doing this year and go, huh, I can do that. And you just kind of like play and plug and figure things out until it balances and it works. And is that what keeps it really interesting for you? It's really interesting. It's really satisfying. Once you're done, you're done. You're just like, okay, and that's gone off to a tax return and we're done now. What's next? And you you don't end up doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And that, I think, is 
Accounting isn't math. It's solving problems using numbers. It's not about doing math per se. There's some math for sure, but it's mostly logic, I think. And for the ADHD brain that's extremely rational, like I am, I'm definitely more of a thinker than I am a feeler, it works. It works really, really well. Well, and that's so interesting because you say it's about solving problems, which is what I think most of us do so well. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're all about thinking outside the box. And so there's there's a lot of ways to think about things. And I think that not everybody... Until recently, I thought everybody can do it. I, I, I now know they can't. So Vera, how is it going with the social piece of the puzzle? Because it sounds like that was the last piece that you needed to crack. Uh, I wouldn't say I've cracked it because I just don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody ever is done growing. I think we're always trying to change and make things better. Believe it or not, I read Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. I love her. Yeah, it's, it's this really amazing book and it is all about not trying to fit in and just embracing the fact that you do stand out. Um, and she talks about how it is about believing in and belonging to yourself. And then you don't need to feel like you fit in anywhere because you always fit in with yourself. And so is that kind of the theme or the motto that you've adopted? The motto that I've adopted, and you'll, you'll see it if you're in the Facebook group, because I post a lot, is that I tend to call people who are neurotypical muggles. <laughs> and I like to call the people who have ADHD, we are the unicorns. We are the ones who we don't fit in because we were born to stand out. And I have an amazing tribe. And the older I get and the more I look around, the more I realize that the people I've surrounded myself with are kind and generous and warm people who are non-judgmental and just kind of provide a safe space in general. And pretty recently, someone was like, well, yeah, that's because that's what you do. And I was like, what? (laughs) I didn't realize I did that. And it seems like the older I get, the more people appreciate the fact that I'm really direct and don't want the flowery crap that I'm just not good at. And so I think it's about finding your tribe and it's not about trying to fit in. Yeah. It sounds like you found your people, Vera. Yeah, for sure. And, and so when you look back on, you know, when you were struggling, was it that you were constantly trying to kind of mold yourself into what it was that you thought they wanted and just never getting it right rather than finding people who just love you the way you are? Yep. That sounds accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was always like there was one big in joke and I just never understood what it was. There was always these unspoken rules that everybody understood and I didn't get and no one bothered to explain them to me. I always felt like I was being treated by like a second class citizen. And I, I still get that in some places and from some, some people. And I have learned to just go, well, you I don't care about. I, I, don't, I don't think that we have the ability to not care about everyone. Like people are like, I don't care what people think. And like, yeah. You can't say that about everyone, but you can pick the people you do care about. Right. I think that's what I did. That's wonderful. So Vera, before I let you go, would you share with us what your number one ADHD workaround is? Oh, gosh. You got to give me something a little more specific than that. For what? 
<laughs> okay. Is there something that you do every day that, because I know that Vera, you can't, you can't use medication like me. I, can, I can't use stimulant. Stimulant medication. Okay. And I know you're also really big you know, about cognitive behavioral therapy and doing things. I mean, you really wanted to learn about yourself. It wasn't enough to just take medication. So Mm -mm. what is the thing that you do every day that really helps you with your ADHD symptoms? So for me, mine would be exercise. Mm, Okay. I plan. And what it means is that every day there's some sort of schedule. And one of the most helpful things that I've ever done in that regard is get a dog because every morning we need to go for a walk and then we have to have breakfast. And then every evening he needs to go for a walk. Dad does that one, but he needs it. And then he gets to have dinner and he needs to be trained. And there, there are pieces that something my therapist had told me, cause I, I started seeing her again when I wasn't employed was okay. If you don't have a schedule, make one because you need structure. It's how you function. So make a schedule for yourself. So I have a schedule for what workouts I'm going to do for the week. I have a, I have a list of what I'm going to get done at work. I know exactly where I'm walking with my dog and who I'm walking with every single day. And if I don't, I just go to the local dog park and hope that my friends are there. And you need to have that structure because if you just wing it, it's not going to work. I would also say mindfulness. I'll probably do a meditation after this to put back this gremlin that has been released. Because I, if you let me talk too long, I get like a brain high and it's bad. So I just need to <laughs> sit down and meditate. And it's just, you, you have to exercise and you have to live in the moment. And it, there's a lot of people out there right now who are really freaking out about what's going on with COVID and about what's going to happen and about where we're going to be in two years. And it's not doing you any good. If you worry, all you do is you give today's peace to tomorrow. And so that doesn't mean you shouldn't plan. It doesn't mean you should wing it. But find something every day that gives you joy and live in that moment and have that peace and then plan for the rest. I love that. I think that's my best workaround. I love it. I think that so many of us, we balk against structure, but we need structure more than anyone, primarily because our brains aren't structured. So our surroundings need to be structured. And I love that you use your dog to plan (laughs) your structure. And, And it makes complete sense. And then, of course, I am a huge proponent of mindfulness, especially, like you said, with what's going on today, because, you know, we can just spiral down. We do that really well. But if we focus on the joy, we see more joy, right? Right. <laughs> okay, Vera, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. So if someone um, is listening to this and they want to know more about you and what you do, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, I have a website, verifiedaccounting.com. It's V-E-R-A-F-I-E-D accounting.com. And if you're sneaky and you know where to look, you will find Easter eggs about my dog (laughs) on the website. I I tell people that he is my chief security expert and the head of office morale. (laughs) Okay. I love you because you have a sense of humor too. Well, That's wonderful. Okay. So I'm going to have all of that in the show notes. 
So that is what I have for you for this week. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Vera, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. For me, they're like those little gold stars we used to get on our work when we were kids in school. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.